Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watch Podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show recapping the weekend of April 1st through the 3rd, 2022. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone's doing well out there. Apologies for the late episode this week. My dog had a bit of a medical emergency in the first half of this week. Required staying up for a couple of nights, uh, meaning I needed to reset my sleep schedule Tuesday night um, and could only really start working on this on Wednesday. So don't worry. The dog is fine now. Everything's back to normal. Um, but in any case, we do have a fair bit of box office news to cover, um, both the numbers and uh, other headlines. So let's just hop in, shall we? Uh, in first place this past weekend, we had the latest entry into the Sony Spider-Man villain cinematic universe, or Venomverse, um, Morbius, the Man-Bat, which, not to be confused with the Batman, um, Morbius is played by Jared Leto and opened to 39 million in 4,268 theaters per theater average of $9,139. Worldwide, it's added another 44 million for about 83 million worldwide. Um, that is in line with box office pros prediction of 40 $40.2 million, though some were predicting as high as $50 million to the weekend. Uh, Sony themselves, as always, had a conservative estimate of about $33 million heading into the weekend. Now, word of mouth may not be the best on this one. It has a terrible C-plus cinema score, which I think is the lowest of any modern uh, superhero comic book film. Uh, only Fantastic, you know, with the four, um, has worse at C-minus, and then Ghost Rider's Spirit of Vengeance, starring Nick Cage, had a C-plus also, um, which kind of shows you what we're working with here. Critics were also pretty harsh, 16% on Rotten Tomatoes. And, you know, audience score is higher, 70%. But um, while that may not seem too bad at first blush, um, you, as a point of comparison, Eternals from last fall, uh, which generally is considered one of the weaker uh, Marvel films overall, had a 78% from audiences on Rotten Tomatoes. So um, that's, again, a kind of an indictment on Morbius as being a bad film for a comic book here, for a comic book film. Um, digging into daily performances, you know, from Friday to Saturday to Sunday, Morbius dropped, you know, 24% Friday to Saturday, um, and then 35% Saturday to Sunday. Now, again, that's in line with what Eternal ended up doing day over day, um, 22% uh, for Friday to Saturday and 32% uh, Saturday to Sunday. Um, as another comparison, Venom Let There Be Carnage, you know, the most recent Sony uh um, villain film, Spider-Man hero film, had better drops. I had a 15% drop on Friday to Saturday, even if the Saturday to Sunday drop was a bit, uh, was about 34%, um, kind of having a, a not as steep first day drop um, still ended up, you know, essentially leading the better legs over the course of the weekend. Um, and also that just kind of highlights how well the first Venom film did. It had 19% drops on both days, um, which again explains just how well received that film was, even if the critics didn't like it. Uh, for non-superhero films that have come out lately, you know, Uncharted and The Lost City had similar gain, had slight gains actually Friday to Saturday, and then Uncharted dropped only 24% Saturday to Sunday, while The Lost Drop dropped a bit further at 40%, but still, those films have held on relatively well, um, and you know, so this all kind of it had better reception. This kind of points to word of mouth on Morbius kind of getting in the way of it potentially having longer legs. Now, that being said, it may not necessarily need those long legs uh, as, you know, one of the only good news about Morbius for, for Sony is that its budget is, has been well under control. While the Eternals cost $200 million, you know, Morbius reportedly only cost $75 million. And as another comparison, Venom Let There Be Carnage, I believe it was about like $110 million or so. Um, again, another example of Sony being really diligent and strict with their budgets, meaning that even if it's not a great, huge financial success like the Batman, they can still turn a profit. 
So even with a modest 2x multiplier for domestic box office, which granted may still even be a stretch, Morbius would still get the $80 million over its run. And you know it's not completely terrible with a $75 million budget since it's already hit $80 million internationally. Um, and that means that there'll be room for a slight profit, at least financially, worldwide. Um, apparently, there are even some paid deals in place for Netflix and Disney Plus to stream the movie down the line. Uh, so at this point, Sony's probably sitting in the black at this point for uh, Morbius. Um, I I saw a joke somewhere that Sony Venomverse is basically the anti-DCEU, where no matter what they do, no matter how terrible the films end up being uh, actually, um, it still ends up being great at the box office. So uh, people are saying, you know, from what I said, about maybe 220 million worldwide is kind of like the ceiling for this one, which seems, you know, about right and probably definitely be a, a success for the film. Uh, in second place, Paramount City Lost City had its second weekend. And granted, you know, I did say it held well, but it actually had a pretty disappointing 52% drop, down to 14.7 million in 4,283 theaters, per theater average of 345. 34.35 and a running total of 54.4 million domestic. Still has not opened wide internationally, less than a million dollars made in overseas, though as a comedy it probably won't do that well in overseas markets as comedies tend to do. I don't really know what to make of that 52% drop. You know, it had a promising 30 million opening and you know a strong female audience. Perhaps it was competition for Morbius getting in the way. Perhaps you know being a relatively original, new original IP means it won't have as many built-in repeat viewers. Maybe the anticipation that it'll eventually come to Paramount Plus in about 45 days or so to turn people from making the trek out to see it in theaters. Um, we'll see if it continues to drop pretty steeply or if it'll kind of like level off in the coming weeks. Uh, in third place, The Batman continues to impress with 11 million this week in 3,732 theaters, 46% drop, 2,948 per theater average. It sits just shy of $350 million domestically, with another three, $362 million abroad, putting it at the $712 million range right now, crossing yet another $100 million mark barrier. Um, domestically, it's tracking behind about $25 million behind Captain Marvel at the same point in time after release, and Captain Marvel ended about about 425 million by the end of its run so 400 million domestic is not quite that that theme is not yet dead for the batman um, on the other hand internationally 800 million might be out of reach um, as things are starting to slow down overseas but um 750 million seems potentially doable still uh, fourth place went to the aforementioned Uncharted, dropping about 27% uh, to 3.6 million in its seventh weekend in uh, 3,064 theaters, per theater average of 11.69, and a running total of about 139 million domestic. Um, another 234 million abroad, which is at 373 million worldwide, tripled the 120 million dollar production budget and well on its way to profitability. I would not be surprised to see an, an announcement for an Uncharted 2 film uh, at some point soon. And finally, Sony wins the top five by having three of the films in the top five, with Spider-Man No Way Home hanging in there, rounding it out with another 1.4 million this week. In week 16, a 28% drop from the week prior in 17.05 theaters, the per theater average of $846. Running domestic total sits at $802 million domestic, uh, worldwide total $1.89 billion worldwide. I mean, what more can be said about this point? It's definitely like uh, a, a, the, one of the biggest highlights of the box office in the past couple of years, frankly. 
Um, now, outside the top five, everything everywhere all at once slightly expanded from 10 theaters up to 38, making just over a million dollars this past weekend for the googly eye popping 28,382 28, per theater average, one in total of 1.8 million. Uh, fun fact, it currently sits as the highest rated film on film site review site Letterboxd, taking the film from Parasite, um, which bodes well ahead of its uh, wide release um, in this coming weekend. Uh, not fully wide to 4,000, A24 is rolling it out to 1,200 theaters. Um, I believe the forecast, which we'll talk about in a second, is about uh, six, $6 million for the weekend, which will put it at about you know, uh, $5,000 uh, $5, per theater. The average is still pretty respectable. Um, also, Demon Slayer now continues continues its run, which should be wrapping up soon. Had a th- crossed the thirty million dollar milestone, taking the place of Dragon Ball Super Broly as the fourth highest grossing anime film of all time in the U.S., behind the first two Pokemon films and Demon Slayer. Um, other than that, not too much to report outside of the top five. Overall, this weekend saw a total of $75 million at the domestic box office. Fun fact, this is the 31st week in a row where a superhero film has been in the top five, going back to Shang-Chi. Um, though depending on how deep Morbius drops in before Doctor Strange 2 comes out in March, that could very well change. Uh, in this coming weekend, there are three wide releases. One is A24's Everything Everywhere All at Once that we already mentioned was expanding um, with the forecast from box office pros of $6 million. Um, Universal has a Jake Gyllenhaal starring Michael Bay directed heist film called Ambulance, remake of this you know fairly poorly received French uh, Danish film I think. Um, now it is set to open in 3,400 theaters. Box office pros forecasting an 11 million dollar opening. Uh, critics have it at currently a 67 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Budget is reportedly a 40 million dollars. And the big one for next weekend, they'll probably take number one. Uh, Paramount's Sonic the Hedgehog 2 opens in over 4,000 theaters and an estimated $65 million. Some are saving even as high as $70 million based on pre-sales. Um, again, critics have it at 67% of Rotten Tomatoes, but um, if you remember the first Sonic film that actually has a 63% from critics, but a 93% from audience, the word of mouth should be hopefully decent. Um, it won't be you know the peak of cinema perhaps, but that used to be a fun time with the kids, though I've also heard reports it's maybe like 20 to 30 minutes a little bit too long um and you know but still sonic the first sonic film ended up getting cut off a little bit off by the pandemic but still ended up making 146 million domestic 300 million worldwide opened against 58 million domestically and it had a budget of 90 million dollars which is apparently very similar to the current the budget of the current film uh, about 90 to 110 million dollars so um if sonic were to open at 65 or even 70 million that would be the biggest open paramount has had since I want to say Transformers Age of Extinction in 2014, um, which opened to $100 million. Uh, since then, I think the biggest Paramount openers have been the Mission Impossible films, and I think only one of them, uh, Mission Impossible Fallout, opened to more than $60 million at $61 million. So, um, yeah, so I think the Hedgehog is going to be that Tom Cruise potentially next weekend. Uh, anyway, internationally, Sonic has actually already started to open. 31 markets for 31.5 million total, the most coming from the UK with 6.4 million, and a number one open for this weekend over Morbius, opening in at number two with 4.2 million. Um, France also has 5.8 million for Sonic, and Australia has 2.8 million. Um, DreamWorks nominated film, uh, animated film, uh, The Bad Guys, opened in the UK to 3.1 million in, th- in third place, about what Encanto made and currently sits at 28.8 million worldwide. 
worldwide. And then finally, we mentioned the last year, the film, last weekend, the film, Indian our film RRR, which was the highest grossing film last week globally, has apparently crossed the 120 million US dollar mark globally this past weekend. Good for about fifth all time globally for an Indian film, already number two in India, uh, making 97 million over there. Uh, turning now to Japan, things have been really, come really interesting, actually. Uh, Sing 2 actually debuted three weeks ago, but this is now the third weekend in a row that Sing 2 is at the top of the box office. Um, they really do love their animation there, it seems. Uh, meanwhile, Morbius disappointed for, you know, a country that tends to love Spider-Man, and this being a Spider-Man-related film, came in only at third place um, behind uh, an anime film, Mr. Osumatsu. Um, meanwhile, Drive My Car, Japan's submission for Best International Film, which won that award at the Oscars, you know, a couple weekends ago um, it returned to the top 10 getting 6th place which is its highest ever over its 32 week run and crossed the billion yen milestone and then finally, back to Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, it's had its 15th week in the top 10, only about 178 million, or about 1.4 million US dollars, away from breaking into Japan's all-time top 15. I also want to shout out the Odd Taxi movie, which is, you know, a compilation film for an anime, which I really loved last year, my anime of the year personally. Um, it made only 34, uh, it only... It didn't open make that much, but it opened in only 34 theaters um, and somehow made it into the top 10 for last weekend. Uh, now moving over to China, uh, things are a little bit weak over there still, with, given the COVID situation and Shanghai being shut down. Um, it's the lowest weekend of the year in 2022 so far, only 12.6 million across the country. Total box office for the year is down 24% against the same point in time last year. Uh, interestingly, six of the top of the six top six films, five were from Hollywood. Uh, the Ronald Emmerich uh, disaster film, which had a lot of Chinese investment, Moonfall, had its second weekend. Topped the chart $3 million for the second weekend, running total of about $15 million over there. Um, still nowhere close to making back its massive $140 million total budget, with its lifetime worldwide earnings still being only $52 million. Um, Escape Room 2 got an opening in, in China, um, opened in the number two spot, making $1.6 million over the weekend on sat from opening on Saturday, so a two-day release there. Um, and then Hotel Transylvania 4 uh, opened on Sunday, so it's a weird staggered release with a different film releasing each day. It made $1.8 million uh, over, uh, over the U.S. for its third, for third of the weekend, um, though it is uh, made more than the prior two films on its single Sunday release. Uh, fourth place went to Hong Kong thriller Man on the Edge, making 1.5 million over two days. Though these are previews with its official release coming uh, in about a week on the 15th or so. Um, and then fifth place went to the, the Batman, making 1.2 million in its third weekend. Um, now, while Batman, you know, is maybe not the kind of, of superhero film that you know, you expect China to really be into without as much big action sequences, um, it did get an extension to run beyond the normal one month period and was able to extend its run until May 17th. Presumably to try to take advantage of whenever the cities open up again post-COVID over there. Um, so far, it's at $20 million to date in the country. Um, and then as noted, Sixth Place Film was another Hollywood film, Uncharted, sitting at $15.6 lifetime in China. I think past this point, Battle of Lake Chen which is now number seven, um, barring a re-release, is at its cap. Um, it made less than a million this past weekend, but still, um, it kind of going to close out in around the $636 million range or so.
Uh, looking in China to this coming weekend, things aren't looking much better, you know, pandemic-wise. When Secrets of Dumbledore releases a uh, one week early compared to the U.S. release, apparently pre-sales are less than a hundred thousand dollars across the nation. There, um, lockdown and all that, but still a disappointment for WB, who you know seems to have a better relationship with China than Marvel does. Um, now that being said, you know, apparently Universal Dominion from Universal later this summer has been confirmed from a Chinese release, so that should be pun intended, uh, pretty big. Uh, anyway, to box office numbers, you know, maybe a bit lighter this week in terms of really interesting stories, but still a fair bit of industry news to talk about. Uh, since this episode is a little bit late, I was able to take advantage of a story from earlier this week. Um, on the 6th, uh, tickets for the upcoming Doctor Strange film went on sale, and various ticketing sites, including AMCs, went down as demand surged, similar to Star Wars, Endgame, No Way Home. Um, I haven't gotten my tickets yet, but I'm, I'm definitely going to try to get it that weekend. Um, we should have firm numbers by next week of what the first day pre-sales were like um, and what we can expect opening weekend to be but based on past experience with you know movie theater uh, chains uh, websites getting overwhelmed and crashing this one will probably be a billion dollar film uh, in other Disney subsidiary news, a director and producer of the latest Pixar film Turning Red, Domi C. Director and Lindsay Collins Producer, have been promoted within Pixar to leadership roles. Good job, ladies. Um, on the opposite side of promotions, though, uh, Jason Keelar, uh, CEO or former CEO of Warner Media, is going to be leaving this coming Friday ahead of the Discovery merger, which is set to I think, open uh, on Wall Street uh, on Monday. Um, he, Jason Keelar is joined in leaving the company by his, many of his directors reports, uh, HBO Max head uh, Andrew Andy Forsell, Studio Chief Ann Sarnoff, CFO Jennifer Burry, Chief of Corporate Communications Kirsty Haberger, uh, EVP Human Resources Jim Cummings, EVP Re Revenue Tony Gon uh, Goncalves, um, EVP General Counsel Jim Meza, and CTO Richard Tom. Um, I mean, this is kind of par for the course with these major mergers. You know, definitely the top management ends up getting replaced as there are multiple redundancies from the acquiring company. Um, it's, it's rumored that they David Zaslav, the incoming CEO of Discovery Warner, um, you know, is uh, going to appoint a studio czar with a couple of names thrown out there, though I'm not going to confirm anything just yet. Um, Warner Brothers Picture Group head Tony Emmerich remains, um, which uh, I guess for the Snyder fans may not be uh, the most exciting news, um, as Border Media International President Gerard Zaylor also states on as well. Now, as far as Keeler himself, what he's going to be up to next, he hasn't announced any next steps, but he doesn't seem to be intent on retiring anytime soon. Soon. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, though, knowing him, it ends up being something NFT-related. He just seems like that kind of guy. Anyway, someone from WB who may be forced to retire also is uh, Ezra Miller, actor of The Flash in the DCEU. Uh, without getting too much into the gory details, uh, he basically was uh, arrested in Hawaii last week for a violent altercation with some individuals, coming on the heels of another incident a couple years ago where he apparently choked a woman. Um, this is going to be super awkward because, he, you know, uh, for DC, just because, like, you know, he's the star of one of the upcoming films, um, and he might not be allowed to promote the film because he's just so toxic, I think. Um, you know, it's almost certain, the WB is almost certainly going to recast the Flash, maybe write him out of DCEU and have another incarnation come in. In any case, uh, apparently after an emergency meeting that WB had last week after the arrest, um, all future projects involving Miller are going to be on pause, which is probably for the better. 
Another movie star who's having a bit of a reputation problem at the moment is Will Smith, of course. After his outburst at the Oscars, apparently various projects with him have uh, kind of been put on the back burner. Um, while he may have resigned from the Academy and he can't vote for the Oscars, he can still be nominated. Um, but it won't matter if he can't be cast in films, at least for the next couple of years due to the controversy. Uh, reportedly, you know, Netflix was, he was set to star in a film called Fast and Loose um, with, uh, but the director a week before the Oscars ended up leaving that film to work with Ryan Gosling instead. Um, and instead of looking for a new director, Netflix has put that film on the back burner for now. Uh, Smith was also, you know, had a, has an upcoming Apple Plus drama Emancipation, um, and Bad Boys for Life was also in development, but apparently is also now on pause. Not to mention, you know, there's also the I Am Legend 2 uh, sequel, which is supposed to be in development as well. Um, now, you know, some say it isn't a complete uh, toxic situation, such as, say, Kevin Spacey, or perhaps Ezra Miller might be, um, but, you know, it may be a case where Smith has to, you know, sit in timeout, sit in the penalty box, so to speak, for a couple of years before someone, I have a suspicion it might be Denzel Washington, cast him for a redemption role, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't expect to see the Fresh Prince in any uh, films, uh, at least for a couple of years. Uh, on a happier note, though, coming out of the Oscars, Coda, which won Best Picture, was released in theaters, or re-released in theaters, rather. No numbers reported by Apple, of course, but it ended up uh, driving a 300% increase on Apple TV+, and became the most-watched program on the platform last week. Um, I ended up doing a little bit more of an in-depth analysis on just you know, how much studios are paying for their Best Picture and other Oscar nominees and Oscar nominations, and you know, how efficient they are at converting those nominations to wins and what it all means. So if you're interested in that, you know, I did a little bit in this podcast, but check out the last episode of the season of the Oscars Death Race podcast. Um, you know, some of the really key highlights are, you know, some studios are definitely better at getting, at getting nominations than others. Some are better at converting those nominations than others, with Netflix being one of those really good at getting nominations, but really bad at making those nominations win. So... Uh, in any case, you know that's a, that's it. I think I think that's a wrap for this episode. Um, you know, like I said, this will be a pretty a lot of interesting stuff to talk next week with three uh, wide film releases to talk about. Um, you can shoot me other ideas for I should cover via email boxofficewatchpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at bowatchpodcast. Find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play. Uh, support the show by leaving a review, subscribing, and just telling a friend. Any of that helps. If you're feeling extra generous, consider supporting us on Patreon, which helps me make not only this show but all the other podcasts I work on. Again, links all that in the show notes. Numbers in the show come from dnumbers.com, intro and outro music from Kevin MacLeod, his stuff is in competech.filmmusic.io, editing production by Ninja Boy Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch Podcast, and remember, our watch goes on. Yeah.